Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Hi, Anita. Why are you sitting there in the dark? I am sitting in my bedroom in the dark because I have turned off all the breakers to the upstairs of my house to make my kids go to bed. That's why it's dark. I did not turn off the breaker to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Is that the only thing that's still on? Oh, Mel. The, the internet? Yeah. Yeah, and a few things. Actually, I let them have one light, but I'm about to go turn it off because they're outside, like, running around still. Um, I'm just in a desperate place right now. I am just really feeling... Like, my back is against the wall. Last week, I was telling you about how I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to give my kids away. And it has just continued to be like that. So I am scared for the holidays because I am really struggling. Oh, I hate it. I'm sorry. Maybe we can ship them to the North Pole for a vacation. Ooh, they could work for Santa Claus. Except for that they wouldn't, because they won't even do their chores. So they think they'd be terrible workers. My friend came over today to bring me back something she'd borrowed, and I was, like, in bed and not getting out of bed. And But I had to go to my parents' house because she was going to feed my kids. And so I left, and she cleaned my whole house because she saw that I was desperate. That is an amazing so, friend. Yeah. 
I know, and it's already messy again because we got home, and so we had to run around and be crazy people. Anita, my wish for you is that you survive the next few months. Yeah, that's my wish, too. I don't know. This is hard. I hate it. Guys, this is real life of a widow. We're sorry if it's a bummer, but it's reality. I know. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I don't know. My daughter's school got shut down, so she's going to be home, which isn't bad because she takes care of herself and is fine. Um, But this week's Thanksgiving, so my other kids only have two days of school, and my four-year-old doesn't even have any school, so... I used to love when school was out because we had so much fun. We would go do stuff. um, And now I just hate it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, can you guys go back to school, please? The the whole 2020 pandemic has put an extra burden on you. So it's been crazy. I'm sorry. Um, You sent me a picture of your smallest dog with a cute puffer vest. How are you doing, Mel? What are you up to, I mean? What I'm up to, things on the dog front are good and regular. Nobody has destroyed too many articles of clothing or shoes or things like that this week. So that's a plus. Um, But we did have a tragedy in my band family. Sad to say, one of my band members had struggled with mental illness for years and years, and he finally took it into his own hands. And so this weekend was full of grief and grief management. And just, you know, we all know what happens when somebody dies and especially with a shocking death, kind of how those things go. So I've been, I've been in that world again, but on more of a supportive side. So it's interesting. And it's been reminding me how important it is to just listen. I think as widows, like we all have our opinions of well, here's what's going to happen. And I know this because I've lived through it. And so like, let me tell you. And so I find myself like, Mel, just don't, don't make this about you. Just listen. So it's been interesting. And some things have been familiar and some things, you know, are interesting as far as seeing how everybody's coping. And because it's suicide, of course, we know that's a messy kind of situation. And he really had a strong community behind him and lots of really close friends. So so his inner circle is really struggling, of course, like anybody's would. But um, I'm connected to the inner circle. And so it's just kind of a, a different form of dealing with death, but super close to home. So sending lots of love out to all those guys. And I've been gone from the band from a year, but I was friends with that bandmate as well. And And since I was gone, like when I went to New York, they really became really, really, really tight, like a family. So I know that he had reached out to them for support a lot over the past year. So yeah, they're all pretty heartbroken. And that's what my week has been like. And yeah, that's all I got. Do you you feel like when a death happens within your circle or within your um, extended friends or family group do you feel like it throws you back into some of the feelings you had when scott died yes definitely and i know that we've talked about this on the podcast before about when jason died and i didn't even know you anita but of course i knew your family and 
I definitely felt some of the same feelings as I was thinking about you going through feelings and the different stages of what comes with a sudden death and what what it feels like the day after. And so I really, really felt it. And I think with this, there was actually another another suicide of somebody that I went to high school with. And, and I felt similar feelings with that too. Mostly like lots of mixed emotions, but really heartbroken for the widow that he left behind and kind of anger, you know, that's common. Cause of course I'm also in my own head, like why would somebody put someone through that? You know, but mental illness is real and it's its own thing. So with this, it's almost like because the people around him are so close to me and my good friends, I think my brain, I'm shocked, of course, and like re- really sad, but I'm noticing that it feels a little bit different because I feel like I am going to have to be there in a supportive role. And so I can't let myself go there too deeply because I know that I'm going to need to be there and break my cardinal rule of not going to any more funerals because this is basically a family member, you know, to me. So yeah, I, I feel like it's, my role is different. And so my emotions are different, just kind of trying to be there for everybody and not taking it as personally, just so I can be in a good capacity to help those guys if they need it. How are you going to take care of yourself so that you don't burn out and don't get too overwhelmed? by that supporting role? Well, right now what I've been doing mostly is checking on everybody. I did take some care packages to people and and part of that like fueled me a little bit energetically just because I knew how much they were struggling. So I haven't felt like it's exhausted me yet. I think because I'm not involved in like planning, the planning process and all those things that could burn somebody out, that's going to just naturally not be as difficult. But I think you know, of course you have to take care of yourself and your own emotions. And it's like, if the role of being there for people starts taking a toll on me, then I'm going to have to just do self-preservation methods, you know, and take a break from it and realize that there are multiple people that will also be able to support. So, but so far it hasn't gotten to that point. I heard this amazing anecdote. I heard a story with this comparison on Brene Brown's podcast and she was with a lady who was, a, I believe, a Buddhist, um, either a teacher, something to do, she was something to do with Buddhism, and um, they were supposed to go to a meet and greet, and Brene Brown didn't want to go to the meet and greet, and the lady was like, well, I'm going to go back to my room, I'm not going to the meet and greet, and Brene Brown was like, what? You have to go to the, you know, I thought you had to, and she said, um, basically, this is not, I'm not going to do a really great job, but... Um, if you spend all of your time exhaling, you also must inhale, right? So the inhale is like taking care of yourself and the exhale is giving of yourself and there can't be one without the other. You can't always inhale and you can't always exhale. And I thought that was like such a powerful comparison because it's not just like, a oh, this is convenient or this is nice. It's like, no, there has to be both to stay alive. That's a really great comparison. I like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness, self-care is not just, you know, nice. You need it because you can only exhale so much. And I've really been struggling with the idea that I'm just exhaling all of my life force out of me and feeling like a complete failure, like I am not succeeding as a parent. So 
trying to figure out how to inhale and exhale is tricky. Since you heard her talk about that on her podcast, in your life, have you started finding ways where you are able to inhale, even though it's feeling like an avalanche to you, like this week, last few days, say? I have never been opposed to self-care. Like, I've always been like, no, I'm going to prioritize these things. But a lot of times I've just thought of it as something that could take a back seat if it needed to. And so when she termed it in that way, it just made me realize that it's almost physiological. You know, it's not something that can, it, it can take a back seat, but you're going to suffer physiologically if you're always exhaling because everything is about balance, right, in the universe. And at the same time, it also made me realize that just like you're doing right now, you're exhaling, you're helping your your friend group get through this trial, um, or not this trial, Death. this really <laughs> difficult time, and not just expecting people to support you all the time either. So I don't know if that answered your question. I don't know either. I'll listen back and find out. <laughs> can't, rem- can't remember what the question was. It was, are you, so. well, I asked if you were into, what are you doing, what are you doing lately, like in the last few days? Well, I'm turning off the breakers, but I need to go turn off more of them. And to be honest, you know how we were talking to Fancy Lady Joy about the second year? I think I have concluded that for me, the second year has been harder. I am really struggling more. And maybe my memory is just bad, but I I just feel it's a lot different right now. And it's it's, we've talked about this in the Widow Wives Club a little bit, that You know, the first year was a lot of adrenaline and kind of just running on fumes and just making it through and everybody's still around to support you. And this year, there's a lot of those really awful feelings of abandoned, being abandoned and having to do this on your own. And there's a duration thing, you know, it's just been a long time. I've been at this for longer and it's still really hard and painful. And those pain feelings aren't going away, but the hardness is still here um with less support and it's like you come to a point where adrenaline can't fuel you anymore so then you're just like you're out of energy you know how's the cat situation going oh the cat got given up on really it it, yeah it took him like 10 minutes and my neighbor paid him 60 (laughs) dollars to quote unquote babysit their kids. Okay, they were home. Six, wait, $60? $60. They are rich. And like, I'm like, thank you. But then I'm also like, no, because now he has this expectation. Like, he's like, mom, can I earn money? I go, yeah, you can go clean out the car. I'll give you $5. He's like, no, nah, it's not worth it. I can just go babysit for $60. I mean, I'd babysit for $60. I know. I would too. Um, he went to Walmart. He called my sister-in-law and asked her to take him to Walmart and blew it all on Legos. Oh, I mean, oh, was... oh, Anita, Anita. What? What? Did you know that there are, there's a website where you can get certain cats built out of Legos. That's what you should get what? him for Christmas. What? I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link. <laughs> I was looking at it this morning. Any color oh of cat and they're in different, like you can have the cat laying down and order that that kit. You can have the cat stretching out. It's amazing. This would this would be the best of all of the worlds because it would be a non-shedding cat and just more Legos in my I love house. it. I've used Legos for bribes 
for a lot of things. We have at least 700 pounds of Legos in this house. When I was doing my flooring project, I had some friends come and help me move the couch. They picked it up and the couch sounded like a rain stick. You know, those things that are like, tinkle, 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 as all the Legos fell through the springs. I'm not even joking. It was like five minutes of Legos. Wow. Well, that's an instrument you can play. And then when they brought it back in. Yeah, it did the same thing. So, so Anita, Thanksgiving is in a few days. American Thanksgiving, that is. Yeah. Um, I'm having mixed feelings about Thanksgiving because everybody is being thankful for stuff. And right now, I'm not being thankful for stuff. And I'm kind of annoyed at everybody being thankful for stuff. But then tr- having this internal, like, don't. That's a jerky thing to do. Don't be annoyed at them. They are grateful. And then I'm like, and stupid you, Anita, you have things to be grateful for, too. And then I'm like, but I don't want to be grateful. You can be the Thanksgiving Grinch. Yeah, that's sort of how I'm feeling right now. I like it. The only thing I'm excited about is pie. I'm going to make some pie. Mm. To be fair, a lot of people in our community have been posting this hashtag give thanks because it's like a big directive. And it seemed to us as widows that every single person on day number one of seven days of give thanks posted, I'm so grateful for my spouse. And so what we got in our feeds as widows... They do everything. They're so great. They're they're so supportive and they're so... Yeah. It was so annoying. I mean, I, I actually am not a fan of of thanks posts in general. It's like, okay, maybe we can like think outside of the box on how we can like say these things. Or does it have to just be like, oh, I'm grateful for this thing that not everybody has. And it just seems like it gets blanketed and it's really... People can get really quick to jump on the bandwagon and that's where they go to first. And that is so great for them. But this is why holidays are so hard for people that are not in those situations. One of the reasons. Because it's like, well, oh, everything's fine because I have a spouse. Everything's fine because this. And it's like, well, for us, you know what? I got out of bed today. And I, how can I post on the I internet? Didn't. Yeah, you didn't. How can I post in my feed? Hashtag give thanks. I got out of bed today after a really long struggle because my friend committed suicide or you know what I mean it's like it just makes I don't want to post anything honestly well I don't like doing big group things because I'm just a jerk like that on the flip side though do you think that we should be posting more things like that because it's real yeah I do (laughs) I do because it's and the thing is is that I it's such a sticky wicket because they really are thankful for those things. And so I don't want, I do not want to take away from people's feelings of gratitude because we should be thankful. Like even us in our sucky, sucky situations have so much to be thankful for. Like think about, there's so many people who have it worse off than we do. So I do think that gratitude is powerful medicine um, and that it's like, it is beneficial for people to be posting good things instead of fighting about the elections. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I would rather maybe see people be thankful for their spouses, but it is kind of like getting a little punch in the neck. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, every time you read one. So, uh, and then I feel like a bad person. <laughs> so, Oh, I totally get it. I think it's like we're aliens and we all, when we have had this big grief thing, I feel like we kind of are from different planets now because you know how everything changes like your perception of things changes, your lenses change of what you're looking at and how you're thinking about what's happened to you in your life. It's like you don't relate on the same level at all with certain things anymore. And so 
of course, like I remember thinking when Scott died, I feel so dumb because I'm sure I've said horrible things to people or just not done something and I had no idea. Now I know, but it's like you can't know that when you're posting, yay, my husband, that there's a ton of people that are like, I'm I'm in an abusive relationship. I'm divorced. I'm a widow. I'm this and that. And, and it's like you can't fault them, can you? But then at the right. same time, no. I... I, I did see a term today that was called toxic positivity, and I think sometimes it's easy to go overboard with with it. I don't know how to explain it, but this it's just a, this is just a hard thing because it's like we understand the 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 power and that we should be grateful for things, and it's also that internal struggle with feeling not grateful for things and feeling and, and I think it's I think it's normal and um feeling kind of angry and annoyed that other people are not experiencing this and sometimes i have to try and remind myself that everybody has their struggles and even if their struggles when i'm comparing theirs to mine i'm like well theirs isn't as big it doesn't matter because their biggest struggle is their biggest struggle so it's like a ratio of of that person's experiences in life and their emotional capacity at that time it just is what it is but i think it's that type of thing where it would be great to have more awareness because that's one thing I super hate about the holidays. I love that everybody is thinking more about others, but then I hate that people just go straight to, yay, my family is perfect and fine and like, I'm the everything's the best. And it's like, not for everybody. There was a post that my neighbor put up. Let me find it. And it, I want to read it. It was really great. And it was from somebody else. I really appreciated what she posted. And this is from at Dr. Julie Hanks. It says, it's inspiring that so many people are posting expressions of gratitude with hashtag give thanks. As we hashtag give thanks, let's also keep in mind that many don't have a happy family, a house, a marriage, or children, extended family, food to eat, a healthy body and mind, etc., the flood of hashtag give thanks posts might be painful for some in our midst. So as we give thanks, let's also remember to mourn with those who mourn and reach out to those among us for whom the holidays are painful, lonely, or empty. Bam. I liked that a lot. Boom. I do too. Yeah. I, it's all about balance in life. I love it. One of my friends um, is a psychologist. He's super rad. You guys would really get along he's amazing and actually he might be a guest on our podcast coming up because i was messaging him today he and i were kind of messaging back and forth about this today because i didn't want to go out and be like the debbie downer of everyone's thankful posts but i also was being mindful of i seriously have only seen like two or three of those hashtag posts that are not about their spouse on day one or day two and so his i kind of scrolled down in his feed and he has a great like family and he hasn't posted anything about like yay i'm married and that's why i'm the best but his his one that he posted and you aren't right (laughs) the one that he posted is i often don't feel grateful how about you our feelings however can be advisors or alarms but they don't have to drive the bus the practice of gratitude is also not a magic eraser to get rid of negative feelings it can be used to enrich your life or to give your mind a little more room to breathe or as an expression of a value no worries at all if you don't feel thankful right now or if you feel envious or jealous of anyone else all feelings are welcome on the bus (sighs) bam again isn't that great 
I love that. I I want I'm on that yeah. bus. I want to be on that bus with him too. He's great. He he is a I think he's a marriage and family therapist, but he always has really interesting discussions that he posts and interacts with and engages with on his Facebook. And because a lot of his friends on there are in the same field, there's a lot of interesting conversations. So I appreciate people like that that are thinking more of they're they're thinking beyond just the usual face value stuff. So thank you to my friend Adam. Yeah. For that, and we're definitely going to have him on the podcast as a guest because there's a lot we can talk about. So that's, yeah, to anybody that has American Thanksgiving this week, we'll be thinking of you. And we might be grumpy that our dead people are not with us, but we're grumpy with you. So have a happy Thanksgiving to all of our U.S. listeners and happy Thanksgiving like... Happy sad Thanksgiving. A month ago to our Canadian listeners. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) and whatever else um and let's just hope that we don't spread covid to everybody i am thankful for all of our listeners and everybody that's supportive of us and is in our same boat or is not in our same boat but that is in our community so thank you guys and gals and dogs (laughs) all you cool cats speaking of cool cats it's time to shout out our cool cat patreon yeah man woohoo our first one is David Kelly. What is this voice that's happening? Are you smoking? <laughs> no, it's like the cool, like the cool. You gotta speak the jive, man. Yeah. Okay. Sarah Morris. Is that good? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Dr. Hill. Diana Becker. Christine Anderson. Jenny Barrow. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Anna Tracy. Iliana Bell Ruiz, Rachel Barbosa, Karen Cornejo. Gosh, your accent is killing me. Oh, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> My mom, Sylvia. My mom. That does not have a name. Nameless. <laughs> Jenny Taylor. Gara. Scara. Ashley Hahan. Wendy Black. Marjorie Lewis. The best turkey maker in town. Shannon. Helm. Just kidding. Shannon Helm. Christina Scambato. Karen Maddock. Karen from Canada, too. And Jamie Aliota. Gracias. Muchas gracias. Merci beaucoup. I think. <laughs> Obrigada. <laughs> Konnichiwa. Wait, that that's says, hello. Hello. Yes. How do you say that? Okay. Anyway, thank you for supporting us. Shimashu. Dankeschön. Dankeschön. I'm just over here saying thank you in all the <laughs> languages. Darling, Dankeschön. Thank you for all the joy and pain. Okay, sorry. Anita, how can somebody join our Patreon? Visit www.patreon.com slash WWDN. We have four levels and all four are filled with fun. But mostly the dead husband. I'm just kidding. Okay, cool. Join our Widow Wives Club on Facebook. If you are a widow or a widower, it's a private group. If you are not a widow or a widower, join our public Facebook page. I'm excited for our guest coming up, Anita. So am I. Maybe this will help us get through the holidays. Uh, Yeah, let's hope that it can help us. I've already noticed posts going around regarding the holidays, so I think it's going to be good. 
Stay tuned. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're just two widows. One is sucking at widowhood right now, and the other one is rocking widowhood, and we're trying to figure out what do we do now. Okay. Would you like to start? Mel. Anita, yes. No, you get to introduce our guest today. I would love to introduce our guest. Because you're so excited, you can hardly even stand yourself right now. I know. You guys, this is going to be so exciting because we've never talked about anything like this on the podcast. And I think it is so fun and unique and helpful for healing, among other things. So this is my friend Vryn. We met on an online group that we are in and she's awesome. And she is an Enneagram and meditation specialist. So we are going to let you, Vryn, talk us through what you do and what it is because it is so unique and so cool and you are the expert. So give us a little bit of a backstory of you, though. We'd like to know about you, about Vryn the person. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. So a little bit about me. I am Canadian, as I mentioned to you before we started recording. And so I grew up, my background in terms of work and such previous to, you can say, the transition of career that I made and which I do now was that I have my master's in microbiology, um, biochem, actually. Whoa. You speak Anita's language. (laughs) Krebs cycle. (laughs) I speak Krebs cycle. Yes, this is true. (laughs) I don't know what that is. (laughs) It's just something that happens in your body. You don't need to worry about it. It makes got a lot of stuff and you can't remember it, but you can't pass organic chemistry without knowing how to do it. So basically you're saying that Vryn is very, very, very intelligent. Yes. <laughs> Vryn's a smarty pants. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's really sweet of you, but I've forgotten the Krebs cycle. So I don't know if that applies. <laughs> Me <anymore>. too. <laughs> so, so in the days when I used to know the Krebs cycle, right, uh, I then decided to pursue my master's. And it was really then, um, and in between that point, and I think maybe a little bit relevant to this discussion too, I took about a year and a half off and I went and I lived in an ashram, which for yoga people will know, um, is a place where you study sacred texts. And the place where I went to, as I mentioned in Belgium, I actually lived in a castle for four months. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. And was it like Downton Abbey? <laughs> you know, I haven't. I I can't believe I'm going to say this live, but haven't I haven't watched it. Seen it? Yeah. Were you upstairs or were you downstairs? I was up, 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 <gasps> super high, like close oh, that, to. That yeah. might not be good either. Okay, was it like Harry going. Potter? It was kind of like Harry Potter. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And so it was this beautiful community of bhakti yogis. So bhakti means the yoga of love and devotion. And so, yeah, it was about 180 people who lived there and I came there to study. And so that kind of took place over the span of a year and a half. And then between my bachelor's and my master's came and I did my master's and really realized that this isn't for me. I have mad respect for people who pursue and are in research and and do so much to help people but I need people it's so boring it's very isolating it's super (laughs) super isolating and it left me really in a quandary because I didn't know what to do with myself but I knew this 
I needed a return on investment. I had spent so many years in science that I just felt like I can't just kind of up and quit this, but how can I start to move in a direction where I interact with more people? So I landed up with my first gig, which was teaching biology to college students, which I loved. And that's where I remembered the Krebs cycle. <laughs> I had to because I was teaching it. Um, and I did that for about seven, eight months. And that came to a close. And then I always had this fascination for um, natural health products. And lo and behold, I kind of fell into this field of regulatory affairs where I was in Canada and I started to help regulate natural health products. And so I did that. And then I worked on the other side, the industry side, where I represented companies that made natural health products. And I did this for a few years until I met my husband. And when I met my husband with the upcoming move to New York, which is where we live, I realized I had this time to kind of find what I really wanted to do because I had exceeded that need for a return on investment. I felt I had really grown and developed as much as I could in this field. And then on my husband's suggestion, actually, he said, why don't you get a coaching certification? And neither of us ever imagined that I would actually be doing what I was, what I'm doing today. Rather, it was, he felt we would be called in our lives to just help people in general. And why not just have some tools in our own toolkit? And so I went into the program and, you know, had that aha moment, 25 minutes in, I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. And I felt like, damn it, the timing is just so crazy because my husband was just starting up his own company. And so great timing for me to figure out my life while he's, yeah. you know, and to quit your job and, and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. And so, and it was he as well who introduced me to this, to this framework of the Enneagram. And so I can speak more to that. But where my meditation background comes from is the fact that I grew up in a family of meditators. And so it always surrounded me my entire life. But I would say that I started to seriously practice meditation probably about 15, 17 years ago. It's better to come from a family of meditators than like a family of criminals. So. <laughs> Nothing against criminals, but I feel like you probably had a leg up. Thanks. And by the way, Vryn, this is how it goes. We're just going to try and derail you off of your topic oh, yeah. all the time. And you're going to have to keep saying like, this is what we're here to do. Awesome. And we're going to keep just throwing stuff at you. I'm okay. loving this already. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> So I just recently heard of the Enneagram. And is it Enneagram or Enneagram? Enneagram. Enneagram. How do you say it? So it comes from Latin, Ennea and Gram. So meaning nine-pointed figures. So as far as I've heard of it from experts, it's Enneagram. So I've heard just a little bit about it, but I want to know more about what it is and why we should care. And... Do we need to look up an online test? Go. All right. Okay. <laughs> so the Enneagram, I'll, I'll kind of just put this in my own words. So we all understand that we have an ego, right? And typically when we talk about ego, um, there tends to be a negative connotation with respect to the ego. And the reason for that is we experience people's egos in a negative way. And that's why we have a negative connotation of it. But in reality, the ego is actually neutral. What it's there is to provide us with a sense of identity. 
right? And that's how I really look at the ego. The ego is a collection of identities. And so with the Enneagram, what it teaches us is that each of us have an ego lens. So a lens that covers the ego, which really filters the way in which we see, process, and interact with the world. And so when we recognize what is that lens that we're seeing through, we immediately develop greater self-awareness. So just succinctly, that's really what the Enneagram is offering to us. Greater self-awareness. When you say ego, we think of ego as like egotistical, like thinking highly of yourself. And you're saying ego more is like your inside, your soul, your like thought process, how, like the, who you are, right? Not like that you're... A little bit different than that, I would say. Um, I would put it as the ego is... A, as I mentioned, a collection of identities. Now, the reason why we experience egotism or we ourselves may become egotistical is when, as the Enneagram also explains, when our level of awareness or consciousness starts to dip. And it starts to dip when the ego feels as though one or more of its identities is not being seen or validated. So say I have an identity that I am extremely valuable or successful. And I'm just having a conversation with somebody. And in that conversation, I hear somebody else has has done something phenomenal, right? The ego feels a pinch, depending on the lens by which our particular ego sees the world. For, for, some, for many people, actually, um, they may feel, oh, that means I'm less worthy. And when we feel that, our response to that is often what causes other people to perhaps feel that we may be egotistical. Okay, Vryn. <laughs> let's just, let's just, are you, are you born? Where does this ego come from? Okay. So this ego, well, let's, let's speak it in terms of these lenses, perhaps, if that's okay. okay. So the lenses. No, it's not okay. <laughs> well, we're going to okay. do it anyway. I'm okay with it now. All right. You needed a second. I get you. Yeah, I needed it. So in Enneagram language, I, from everything that I've learned, I've started to call this a lens or an energy, but you'll see that in Enneagram circles, people will speak about this as your type. And this is great. However, sometimes it minimizes or kind of takes away from the depth of how much is there, right? When you hear of, I'm a type X, then it almost feels like you're being put into a box as opposed to what I've started to experience in talking about this as a lens or an energy that, wow, there's, there's a lot more depth to this than just a stereotype. So with that, what happens from, from those who have really studied the Enneagram, they feel that you are born with this particular ego lens. Now, that said, it can definitely be influenced by nurture. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. 
She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rockhouse Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Right. So so just like everything else in the world, you're going to tell me it's a combination. Well, I would say your your type is your type, but nurture can have an effect in terms of if you grow very healthy in your type, if you start to mistype yourself because another energy or lens is actually more valued in the family or community that you belong in. So this is where it can actually, um, there's lots of room for, how shall I put this? There's lots of room for how somebody will actually show up in the world. Because if, say, you mistype yourself, and, and I've seen this with people before, they feel like they operate through one lens, and then you start to realize they've just conformed to their environment. That's what's happened. And for, for many people, and perhaps one of you might have experienced this, sometimes you also feel like, I just don't belong in this family, or I don't belong in this culture. Like, I'm not free to be me. So for some people, they'll conform. For some people, they'll like rebel or find that that tribe where they'll really feel seen and for others that it's somewhere in the middle interesting so the online test that we all know which i think is probably how most of us are familiar with the word enneagram they don't really give you a full picture of the depth that you are is that correct yes and um the reason for that is a couple of things one is there's always social desirability bias when you are answering questions right? We want to be seen in a certain way. And my husband said this, and I thought this was so apt that in order to do these online tests or any kind of tests where we need to like kind of choose based on kind of like a multiple choice question scenario, it requires that you yourself are self-aware. Now, most of us, when we do these things, we're looking for help in becoming self-aware. So this is kind of like almost like the blind looking to like see by themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. So I've taken the online tests. And the thing that is confusing for me in all of these is the questions will say things like, do you value, you know, this or that or the other? Or do you perform? Do you prefer to be with people? Do you prefer this or that? And I'm like, well, it's never cut and dry. Yes, I like to be with people. But no, sometimes I don't. So how do I answer that question? And then you get done and you find out that you're an elephant and you're not even in the <laughs> Very well said. Yes. And you're just, again, highlighting one of the, um, yeah, the drawbacks to, to taking an online test. Now, that said, there are a few tests that I'm aware of where it's like ridiculously comprehensive and there's a much higher likelihood where you might fall in the realm of your type and it is accurate, but by and large, it is very difficult because you're trying to pit questions up against each other. And for most of us, the, the answer is it depends. So do you yes. want to be alone? Do you want to be with people? It depends. Yes. Right. Yeah. Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be organized? It depends. You know, is it something I care about? Is it something not I care about? Exactly. Something not I care about. So, so okay. I, have a qu I have a question. So, okay. So, Vren, so a, a lot of our listeners are widows and there are different stages of 
grief and moving through certain emotional situations. How can the Enneagram help them based on what they're going through? One of the things that is so powerful, I find with the Enneagram, two pieces, and that is, first of all, when we encounter stressful situations or difficult situations, the tendency is that we start to move towards a different energy. Okay, and so just using Enneagram speak, for example. So if you are a type two, which is known as the helper, right? I can start to move to and start to behave and almost look like I'm another type. And where the Enneagram becomes so helpful is it offers an explanation for people, especially when they face any type of existential crises, whenever they face some type of loss, very often they feel like I'm losing myself. And it's very powerful to have an explanation as to why you're feeling that way. So you go from feeling like you're an elephant to a taco. Very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) And as we know, being widows, you feel like you're an elephant one minute and a taco the next minute. Not even like the next year. It's all all together scrambled. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Vryn, why is it helpful to understand what your lens is or what your Enneagram type is? Does it help you to know how to treat yourself or how, you know, what, 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 why is it useful? So the first, the first piece where it's useful is that it instantly helps you develop self-awareness, right? And so as soon as we become self-aware, that in itself is like this huge help, right? But alongside it, what it helps us to do is that it also, and this is a piece to the Enneagram that I feel isn't spoken about so often, and that is irrelevant of type there's also levels of consciousness. And so when we are extremely self-aware, we will operate and show up in a certain way. When we are in the average levels of consciousness or more the controlling levels of consciousness, we will show up and operate in another way. And then finally, when we're in unhealthy or even destructive levels of consciousness, we show up in a certain way. So now what happens is that when we understand our lens, and we start to realize I can start to move in health or in stress in these different ways, I can actually start to identify through behavior, wow, this is where my consciousness level is at. This is where my self-awareness level is at. And that becomes very powerful. That's so interesting. My foot is asleep. Sorry. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something about a taco or something. I am. I'm so sorry. That's so interesting. I feel like this is such a huge like mountain to climb to understand all of this and to make it make sense in my brain. Do you want to tell us about the different kinds of people there are? The way in which a person even understands the lens by which they see the world through is not based on behavior. It's based on motivation, which is a hundred times deeper. And the example I often give is you have eight people in a room and they all behave in the same way. And then you actually sit down and ask questions and find out what their motivation are. Chances are their motivations are different for the exact same behavior. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And so what that does is when we understand the place from which we're operating from, when we understand the why, 
then we can start to actually shift behavior. It doesn't mean that we ignore the why, we don't ignore the need, but we find a better way to address that need. Can you give us an example of like someone that you've worked with and maybe how you've seen those things? Yeah, sure. So one of the energies or types is known as the loyalist, the type six. Okay. And for them, the motivation is to feel secure. They want to feel the ground beneath their feet. Right. And because of that, um, when, so they're, so they're, their fear is that they will not be able to do that. And so what do we do whenever we experience a type of fear, whether it's real or not, is that we try to manipulate and control situations so we won't experience that. So you might see a type six, for example, they might micromanage somebody. They might um, constantly test them. They might try to find ways to like really ensure that um, that person has their back or that they're being loyal to them, right? And so when you're experiencing all of that on the other side, right, it may feel really difficult, right? You're like, you feel micromanaged, you feel like you're being tested all the time, like your word isn't being taken for like the truth that it is. But if you understand that, wow, this is the motivation driving this person, you instantly develop empathy. And it's so interesting because if you're on the other side of that coin, you probably assume that that behavior is coming from a different need because your brain doesn't go, oh, they're doing this because they need to feel secure. You're like, they're doing this because they're a jerk. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so in any situation when this kind of thing happens um, and, and, and you nailed something there, Anita, and that is unless you're built the exact same way, you likely won't understand the other person. So should we get like name tags and walk (laughs) around society and be like, I'm Anita. I'm a seven. I don't know what I am. I just made that number up so that we can all, you know, communicate better. So I feel like there's pros and cons to that. Okay. (laughs) And the reason why I say that is, um, the mind works in such a way, and this is where, you know, understanding of meditation and some yoga psychology can be really helpful. The mind works to, in, in the realm of duality, it categorizes, right? Something is black or white, you're right or wrong, it's hot or cold. It doesn't really live in the gray, which is what we are all about, right? It reduces everything to something that is just essentially the opposite of the other. And so if we were to walk around with these, you know, with these name tags and say, hi, I'm a two or hi, I'm a six or hi, I'm a seven. What happens is that unless somebody is extremely mature on the other side, they're not going to think about, hmm, wonder where that person's level of consciousness is at. They might just think to, oh, these are the negative qualities that I associate with this energy or this type. I need to watch out for this. I love that you just made the black and white and gray comparison because we seriously just talked about that in, I think, one of our last podcasts. Anyway, and it's so true. It's like there are so many things in life that we want to put in the black and the white category, and they're just not. Exactly. The more experience that we can have in all these different facets of life, figuring out the gray, then the more empathy we have. Exactly. Okay. So is it possible to be more than one type or is everybody 
just one type? And are there really only nine types in the whole planet full of 70 billion people? Great question. Great, great, great question. So on one hand, the Enneagram may seem very simplistic because it'll say that you have one primary type. And as you go deeper and deeper into understanding this, you realize that you also have a supporting type. So there's a primary lens by which you see the world and then a supporting secondary lens. Now, when I say support, I don't mean that that lens is just almost identical to the one that you primarily see the world through. What's interesting is that sometimes that lens can feel almost the exact opposite. And so I'll give an example. The yes, please. Enneagram 3 is very often an outgoing type. Okay. Now, if they have a four wing, that is what is referred to as the secondary type. The primary is whatever, three, four, five, six, whatever, wing, which means the secondary type, if they have the, a four wing, you'll actually find somebody who struggles with wanting to be extroverted and has the pull towards introversion as well. And so that can actually help to aid somebody many, many times because for those who are extremely extroverted, it's helpful and important sometimes to have like another side that's kind of like, hang on, let's just like pull back. You need some time to recharge and rest. At the same time, there are other types where you can have like double extroversion. And oh my God, I'm sure you have experienced that, right? You're like, holy geez, like, do you never take a rest? <laughs> Go away. Lots of energy, lots of energy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. So Vryn, you're a parent. How... As a parent, do you use this to understand your children, to understand yourself? How could Anita use this to help her life? She has four kids. Oh, my God. Help me, Brynn. You're a superhero. Uh. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> wow. Um, so it's sad that you can start to see the tendency or predilection towards a certain ego lens pretty early on. Now, the exact age isn't really determined, but I would probably hazard a guess around, especially around six, seven, eight, you can start to really confirm, you know, and see. You see certain tendencies, you see certain patterns, right? And when you, and this is a, this is a great place where someone can either do an Enneagram consultation or if they're not ready for that just yet, like even just read up a little bit on the Enneagram to just kind of see, wow, I notice one of my kids tends to be a little bit more withdrawn and shy. Okay, so none of your kids are. Great, okay. We got Anita, none of those. Anita has all the energy in her house <laughs> at all times. <laughs> I don't know how she's alive. <laughs> I don't either, honestly. So then a good, a good idea to also kind of see, okay, you know, here, here are three of the types which tend towards extroversion. Now let's really try to figure out what's the motivation. And around that age, especially when they when they become more aware, they can start to answer questions. You know, like even simple questions like, do you like to be, you know, number one in your class? Or how did it feel when you, you know, lost this? Right? Like you can start to like just parse out and nuance. And this is one of the things I really appreciate with the Enneagram. Just to, through questions, you can start to eliminate types pretty easily. Hmm. And then what happens is that you start to like really hone in on the maybe one or two. And just through a little bit of experimentation, you can start to really um, see what it is. 
you can figure it out. Yeah. It's so interesting because in all of the personality tests and things like that, I feel like I am opposite within myself. Like I'm very fun loving, very carefree, but then also very perfectionistic about some things. So it's like, and I want to be in control of things, but I also don't plan anything and we just want to have fun all the time. But then it's like, no, we're doing this and I'm going to get straight A's, you know, and stuff like that. So I've often been confused because I don't feel like I fit in the categories that are given to me, like super competitive at the same time. I just want to have fun. Mm, yeah. And this is, this is really where like even those kinds of things so helpful to just start to like, okay, you can like eliminate these types perhaps, you know, um, even sometimes body language, super helpful in determining your type. This is where it's helpful to have somebody else actually like sit down, talk to you, have like ask, be asked questions as well as they can actually visually see you. The way you carry yourself, the word choices that you use can have such an effect. Yes, definitely. Interesting. Okay. Vryn. So in depth. Are you psychoanalyzing Mel and I right now? Do you know everything about us? (laughs) Everything. Your deepest, darkest secrets. Oh, my God. Um, I would say this. After some time, it just becomes, it's not like a conscious thing. You just start to, like, eliminate certain certain energies. That's all. It's not like, oh, yes, I absolutely know how you work and what makes you tick. But there's, you know, you start to feel like, okay, I I can start to, like, eliminate these ones. Yeah, I at least know you're not this. I might not know what you are, but I know what you're not. Exactly. Just for just for fun. And can you kind of tell what each of us are? Like, to give us your, uh, what's the word, perspective or opinion? So I, would, I would actually need to ask more questions. Oh, oh, see, she's yeah. not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe she's eliminated like four of the things. I've, I've eliminated a bunch. But the thing is, um, and this is, this is also, I guess, um, in my own evolution of working with this tool if you had asked me maybe like a couple of years ago I would have been like so gung-ho and you wouldn't have even needed to ask I would have been like well I think you're this you know but what I've started to realize is there's there's some magic to somebody discovering it for themselves as opposed to being told who and what they are that never mm. ever sits properly even if somebody says it will it doesn't it doesn't because we are beings who thrive off of free will and being able to discover things for ourselves. So when you coach with people, you're trying to help them to figure out who they are and you don't tell them. So I, yeah. so through questioning, we will eliminate certain types and then I'll offer perhaps, well, have you considered this? Have you considered this? And then really drilling into the motivations finally when they've kind of maybe narrowed it down to one or two, typically two. Um, then very often the question becomes, what's your primary and what's your wing? Because so for example, for myself, my primary type, it's probably like 51% one type, 49% another. Oh, that's close. What types are you? So is that too personal? No, no, it's not personal at all. Um, so I am what is known as the achiever type. And so the motivation for the achiever is very much, um, I want to feel valuable. You know, mm-hmm. I want to feel, um, yeah, like a sense of, of worth. Yeah. That's it. And then, is, so that's your primary. What's your wing? So the wing, the secondary type is, it's known as the individualist, the four wing. And the four is very much more a pulled back energy and introverted. 
type. So as I've, as I've grown up, I've started to recognize that, yeah, um, I need more space. Like I love being with people. I, I lean towards extroversion, but boy, do I need my introverted time alone. I need to journal. I need to be with my thoughts. I need to process things. Things need to, I need to figure out who I am, you know, like that sense of like, who am I? You know, which is very so the fun. pandemic hasn't been a bad thing for you. You get all sorts of time not with other people. <laughs> oh. Well, this pandemic maybe your husband and <laughs> your family though. I get I get away. plenty of time with people. Don't don't, don't confuse oh, yourself. I understand. <laughs> lots and lots of time. <laughs> so okay, this might be sort of personal. I mean, I guess it's a personal question, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But let's say you, Vryn, you have those, that type and that wing, and you're going through a stressful situation. How has that knowledge of what you are helped you to guide yourself through those things? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm so happy to answer it. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed in times of stress is that I can feel extremely overwhelmed. And there is almost, there can be a sense of like, I just need to shut the world out. Right. And when I get into those places now with this knowledge, I realize, okay, I'm in stress. Now, the first thing is compassion, right? Okay. What is causing that stress? Let's actually like figure that whole piece out. And then after offering compassion, um, talking it out with those who, who, you know, won't judge me and who, who truly care for me, what is maybe one small step I can, I can start to move up the levels of consciousness so that I can get out of that situation. I love that. And that is so, it's not unique just to us as widows. Cause of course I think a lot of our situations and emotions are magnified and it's so easy for us to think that we're the only ones that are in pain or that are in trauma. Um, but the steps that you just described are going to be helpful to anybody, no matter what they're going through, Where, whether you're in grad school and you're stressed about a test. Crab cycle. Or you, or you, yes, or you don't know which taco to eat while you're riding on the elephant, or if you are have just buried your husband, right? So like we referenced earlier, the motivations are different, but sometimes the outcomes in how stress presents itself can be similar. Totally. Is that fair to say? That's very, very fair to say very fair to say so you talked about like mimicking another type when you're going through something difficult but that doesn't actually you don't actually change you're just being an imposter for a little while or explain that more to me so it's not necessarily being an imposter but you what's what's so interesting is that we have all of these nine energies within us what happens is that when we talk about a primary energy or lens is that that's what that's where we defer to, right? And so when we become really self-aware, what happens is that the ability and the access to greater free will starts to appear in our lives. And so I'll give an example. So for example, if I'm a person who um, really hates conflict and I do not want to get into any type of conflict, right? Um, but if I am in a space where my self-awareness is extremely, extremely high, I can actually start to tap into the energy of another type, which is not necessarily like conflict friendly, but rather 
can deal with conflict in a productive way. And instead of shrinking back from that, which is what my typical response would be, I'm actually able to tap into that energy. So that seems really useful because like, I don't like conflict, but sometimes it's necessary. And so sometimes if you are avoiding it so much, you'll do things that aren't in your best interest because you don't want to speak up. Got it. In-laws. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is like kind of out there, but also kind of not. That reminds me of, you know, disassociative identity disorder, like on the spectrum of, I mean, it's like a person that has um, gone through some trauma when usually when they're a child, they have these different identities Mm -hmm. that they've made for themselves. And, and there are documentaries and studies and all these things on this, but for, for the actual like baseline human being, if they are not strong enough, they will pull from one of their identities so that they can get through the situation. Mm. Now that's totally different. That's like a a, a clinical mental health yes track trajectory. So I'm not meaning to totally take it there, but I love the idea of pulling from a stronger or an energy that that maybe is useful to you at the moment yeah, to get you through. Exactly. And so that typically happens in growth. And so we just talked about stress. You can start to you can start to almost take on the What you're doing actually in stress is you're tapping into the pain point of another type. That's actually what's happening. So even then. What does that mean? Explain that. So it's like you're starting to tap into the insecurities, the fears and needs of another type, right? And so what happens actually is that if used properly, like once you recognize that you are in stress, that you're almost like moving in the direction of another type moving in the direction doesn't mean you become that type it just means that you can really relate and experience you know like that pain and motivation that other type experiences once you start to pull yourself out of that your act- your self-awareness has actually started to grow because now you understand how somebody who's built that way you have had practical experience of what it's like to be in their shoes so that's the empathy part that's the empathy part. And so similarly in growth, what happens is that you go through the shadow side of the type that you're moving towards, which means that their insecurities, you start to actually truly tap into those insecurities. And you can even feel like, oh my God, I don't actually feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm in stress. You're actually growing because, so for example, um, somebody who's supremely confident in growth may start to experience doubt about themselves. And you know what? That's healthy. That's a good thing because perhaps you thought you were a big know-it-all and you just understood everything and had all the right answers. But sometimes that doubt can actually make you like bring some humility, which is much needed. So you're not a narcissist anymore. (laughs) So this would fall into the transformation part of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. We were just talking about that yesterday, huh, Anita? We're like, the transforming part sucks. Ah, I don't yeah. even remember what yesterday was. <laughs> well, you have been redoing your floor oh, yeah, and your yeah, walls okay, and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, we were just talking about how oh, it's such a pain to do all these things that you would never do, but you're doing them because your husband is dead. And and then you get done, and it's so painful all the way during it. And then you get done with your project, and you look back and you think, I did that. Oh, I grew. But at the time you're going through it, it's painful. Yeah. That's a great, great analogy to this. Great analogy to this. That's exactly what it feels like. You feel like, again, it's so funny. Like whether in stress or whether in growth, it's funny. 
um, the, the common experience is that you feel and you experience some sense of, of, of suffering, you know, at least in that process. So when you're in stress, the suffering is that I'm trying to cope, I'm trying to cope. When in growth, it's not coping anymore. It's actually needing to stretch yourself to, to realize there is a goal here. There is a goal in mind. It's just hard in that moment to recognize, as I'm sure you experienced when you were doing your floors and your walls, like how, like, why is this now on me? You know, and then suddenly like you come out of it and you're like, wow, I just have practical realization that this is possible. Like I can do this and nothing empowering. So how does the Enneagram tie into meditation? Mm. So one of the things with meditation is to truly experience who we really are, you know, beneath the ego, like as spirit. And what the yoga texts describe is that spirit, your essence is comprised of three qualities. And that is it's eternal, it's full of knowledge and it's full of bliss. That's who we are at our essence. And, 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 the main purpose of the soul is to is to serve others it's to love and to be loved and it's kind of like a homecoming that's what i think of meditation it's a homecoming and what the enneagram really does is it starts to really reveal to you what are the identities that you hold so near and dear right and in meditation you can actually start to explore those identities you can start to actually see um, which ones are serving you, which ones are those that you need to let go of, you know, and how can we actually tap back into um, this, this feeling of, you know, even without any identities, I am still loved and I am actually valuable and have purpose in this life. So there's your soul, or your, did you say soul? Was that the word you used? Yep, soul. And then there's your ego, which is the lenses that you see the world through, Mm -hmm. and your motivations. Mm -hmm. And then there's your identities. Well, you could include that in your ego. You can include that. Then you have your mind, and then you have your intelligence. So there's all of these things, and then you have your senses. So you have all of these things that are kind of like working in... You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? Can you imagine this is how we go through life without many of us even realizing this is how we're like built, you know? So, and that's why you can't just take a quick test and know all the answers. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the thing. One of, one of the things I really appreciate about the Enneagram is that many Enneagram teachers will also say this, that it is, um, it leads you up to the path of spirituality. It doesn't, it may not necessarily take you in, but it helps you because it helps you to realize that you trying to serve your ego day in and day out is actually a thankless task, thankless. Because if you just operate your life on just trying to validate or get validation for all your identities, it's really tiring. It sounds like abusive relationships. (laughs) Yeah. With yourself. Yeah, it can be. I mean, the ego, and that's why I think very often people think of the ego in a negative light, right? Because it's a demanding so much. But the thing is that this is is the flip side. When the ego is in control, it's not a good place. When the ego is actually there to serve you, then you can start to see, wow, these identities have certain um, 
functions. And so let me show up and meet those um, responsibilities, those, um, those relationships in the best way possible without trying to get and seek and pull and manipulate for validation. So the Enneagram is like the, the ladder, right? You said like the ladder to higher spirituality and then meditation, does it help you get into the zone where you're connecting with that? The meditation actually, what it does is it, it, it can give you an experience of how you are so much more than just your senses, your mind, your intelligence. And that's why very often in a meditation class, you may hear someone say, um, just watch your thoughts. And that's actually for anybody who may just even be new to meditation or have, has never tried meditation, this is a great exercise to do. You instantly realize that you are not your thoughts. So you just watch them kind of go by. That's it. You don't give them an emotion. You're like, oh, there it goes. Bye. Exactly. Exactly. And it can be a really freeing experience. Somebody was just mentioning to me another, um, another enthusiast of meditation, and she was saying that somebody had reached out to her after, after um, hearing about a meditation that she had done, and she said, I never realized that I was allowed to just watch my thoughts. I thought that my thoughts, each and every single one of them had such great importance that I needed to dedicate time and energy to it. Can I just say that right now, I'm thinking about the movie Nacho Libre. Have you ever seen it, <laughs> I have so, never seen talk- it. I have never seen it, but I'm sensing like maybe like a taco nacho connection. Right? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Are no. you hungry? Are you hungry? Just a, there's just a line in there and he says, Beneath a man's clothes, you will find his nucleus. And it's like the best <laughs> line ever. And so that's what I'm, I'm just imagining. Like we're peeling away pieces of us to find the inside of us, which is our onion. Nucleus. We're not onions. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a great way of putting it. Actually, we're just peeling all of the layers. And so for some people, they're already in a position where they want to go straight to like the nucleus, you know, as you mentioned, but for others, maybe all they want to do is just peel two layers and that's fine. You know, everybody is at their own place in their, in their journey of self-awareness. I have a meditation question. So you obviously are very advanced because you said that your whole family did it and you did it growing up and do it. That doesn't mean I'm advanced. That just means I have some experience. (laughs) You have a lot more experience, but like, the only experience I've ever had is maybe on Audible and there was a free meditation <laughs> thing. And so I maybe I don't really know what it is. Can you tell us from a beginner's standpoint what that looks like versus maybe a more experienced standpoint? Mm, so maybe the first thing I'll say is that there are different types of meditation. And depending on where you are in your journey of meditation, it's helpful to kind of explore and see what is Um, most meaningful and what resonates for you. This is what my own meditation teacher always tells me. And so one of the first meditations that I'll often offer to people is something called yoga nidra. And yoga nidra, especially for moms, oh my God, I can't like emphasize this enough, is like the best thing in the universe. So essentially what it is, you lie down, you close your eyes. Okay. I was like, I can't believe there's a meditation where you're like you can totally close your eyes and what you're, and then whether it's through live and hearing somebody like speak and offer prompts or whether it's a recording, they'll take you through um, a bunch of things such as a body scan, 
right? Where you're just bringing awareness to certain types of certain parts of your body. And then you go through like a relaxation phase. And then you may go through like a visualization, you know, very often to relax, you know, and then you come to the end and then you, at the beginning, you plant an intention at the end, you plant an intention and that's it. And that's meditation because one of the things my meditation teacher also tells me, tells us is that um, a relaxed mind is a focused mind. And so you can say that the initial goal or like the starting place for meditation is actually just to quieten the mind. That's it. I was just going to say something about that. I was just going to ask, does meditation help you to be able to go to sleep? It can. Because you know how to make your brain stop doing the crazy thinking about all the things. Totally. In fact, with yoga nidra in particular, what happens is that it takes your, um, it takes your body and it takes your mind to a state of um, alpha, which we experience during, you know, when we go to sleep. But the thing is that we only experience it for seconds, right? Mm. But it's a place, right? So this Uh is a place where the body completely relaxes. And I'm sure you've experienced this. I experience this all the time. I go to sleep, I wake up tired and I'm like, what was the point of sleeping? You know, it sucks, you know, like I'm glad that I was able to rest in my body, but like I'm tired. And that's because the mind is still very, very active. In yoga nidra, what happens is that the mind actually quietens down. And when the mind quietens down, when the and, and it enters into this alpha state, active healing can actually take place on the body on both the mental, emotional, and physical levels. And get this, this was what really like got me as like a big proponent of yoga nidra. And that was with regular practice, one hour of yoga nidra is worth four hours of regular sleep. What? Yeah. Anita, we have to do it. I I know. I I just listening to that, though, and this is so silly, but um, like Mel, the things that you do on Audible, every time I try one of those things, I just actually fall asleep. So I don't think I'm doing it right. So this is the thing with Yoga Nidra, um, specifically that there is no right or wrong way. And if you fall asleep, what it means is that your body was actually so tired, it needed the rest. And after some time, when you do this, um, you will start to stay awake for longer stretches of time. And you do this, you're supposed to do this for an hour a day? You can do this for an hour. Many people, when I teach, I teach for about 45 minutes. I've also done this within 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, you can do it for shorter periods of time. The longer you have the longer you actually experience the sense of relaxation. That's all. So you talked a little bit, you alluded to the idea that meditation has an effect on the actual physical body. Yeah. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah. The reason why meditation has this effect on the body is that when the body, I, I, I would actually say the body mind effect, that would maybe be more accurate that if you notice throughout the day, even if you're, even if you're lying down, even if you're, even as we're conversing right now, we tend to move constantly, right? And as there's activity in the body and the body, which is composed of the senses, right? It's interacting with different things, right? The senses are interacting with different objects and that's bringing in information into the body, which is being fed to the mind. And what that does is as information comes to the mind, the mind starts to spit out so many thoughts, 
And that is why we often feel like, oh my God, why won't this thing just like stop? Like I'm constantly, constantly like just, there's just so much going on. Um, when we start to still the body, which again, like in yoga nidra, for example, is the first thing that you do, but you do it in this really beautiful way. You're not like sitting and like a lot of people feel like, oh my God, I can't sit still. You're actually getting to lie down. It's much easier to be still. Um, what happens is that the mind starts to quieten down as well. Because when your body stills, it has a direct effect on your mind. And then as your mind starts to still a little, a little bit, you start to actually um, link the mind to the breath. Because the breath is the only thing that is in the present moment. I hate those. I hate it when people ask me to pay attention to my breath. Mm. I like it. it. I hate it. It makes me start to feel anxious. I feel like my body knows when to breathe in and breathe out. And so when I start trying to control it, then I start feeling like I'm suffocating and I have to stop paying attention to it and just let my body breathe. And then I'm fine. It's so crazy. I had the same experience. I had the same, oh. same experience, especially when I started doing this. I was like, I don't want to pay attention because as soon as I, because one of the prompts along with it is often, and just witness it. Don't try to control your breath. It yeah. took me months and now I can just witness my breath. And when you get to that place, and it is possible, I'm living proof, um, it just takes time. You start to realize, wow, I have this need for so much control that I actually can't just witness something that happens naturally. That was my real life. I was just going to say, is that your Enneagram? The control has to micromanage certain well, things. Well, no, the, the thing is, is that I know that my body knows when it needs to breathe and so I know that I if my brain starts to take over it won't do what it needs to do and so then I start to feel panicking so it's not a control thing it's like I know that I that my body knows what it needs and my brain when it tries to control it gets all messed up but isn't your brain not trying to control it it's just trying to pay attention to it well you can also try this I would suggest so one thing is you could try try to like just you know, witness your breath. The other thing, and this is something I didn't know about until my meditation teacher first taught me, is that there's actually a slight temperature shift in your breath with every inhale and exhale. On your inhale, you'll notice that your breath is slightly cooler and on exhale, it's slightly warmer. So that can be a better prompt sometimes for people because now the focus isn't so much on, I need to like pay attention to how I'm breathing. I can I can pay attention, but I'm, I'm actually directing it to something that's associated with it instead. See, and I think that would be more helpful because it's not so much like the in, two, three, four, you know yes. what I'm saying? It's not yes. the length. It's more of the quality of it, which yes. I can see how that would be less, yeah, less troublesome for me. Great. Thanks, Fryn. Of course. I'll give that a try. You just changed her life. <laughs> My life is different now. You know, that's what I do. I love it. So, Vren, you teach classes, you coach and teach classes on both of these things, correct? I do. On Enneagram and meditation. How can we find you? I You can follow me on Instagram if you are on social media. My handle is at illuminate.nyc, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-E.nyc. You can also check out my website if you'd like. It's illuminate.nyc. And... Um, I also would love to offer people, there's this intention setting guidebook I put together. You know, it's a fillable ebook and it's just something that I felt was so important because 
so many of us struggle with intention setting, myself included, and we can easily go wrong in terms of even the way we set an intention. And so instead of like feeling happy and successful about manifesting it, we just feel like failure afterwards. And so this is just to help people. And so you can um, feel free to click on the link. You can, you can download it and then um, you'll be added to my email list. And I just launched my newsletter. And so it's a weekly newsletter, just some reflections. So on the Enneagram and all kinds of things. So we are more than happy to link to your sites in the show notes. And that sounds awesome. I want to sign up for your list. I love that stuff. Awesome. Consider yourself signed up. Yes. (laughs) Enneagram can be so helpful, especially in developing self-awareness. And then, of course, with meditation, you know, I would just if, if you haven't done any meditation, if you're wary of meditation, you know, no expectations. I think that's what I would leave people with. Like when you go into it, don't feel like you need to be doing something or you failed or the fact that you just spent a little bit of time with your breath. That's huge. Um, We were kind of joking about the audible meditation things or like apps. Is that a good, good thing to try as a first step? Or is there another place that you could look for if you were just trying to dip your toes in the water? It could be helpful. I mean, um, there are numerous people who to who do meditations. I have not gotten my act together yet to, I've, I've recorded some meditations. So I just haven't put them out, but I would, yeah, I would wholeheartedly suggest just to try it out. Go ahead, like try out Headspace, Audible, Insight Timer. There's so many of these apps that are available and to try out. Um, this is the other thing I would say. You might also want to try out different teachers because sometimes one teacher, you know, it's just their voice. You don't like their voice and you don't even realize that, right? Um, and of course, if anybody would like to give Yoga Nidra a shot, I teach every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. So you can feel free to join me if you'd like. I think you should get your meditations out and then we can tell everybody. <laughs> okay, let me see what I can do. But until okay. then, you can, and you guys should come, like, just guess on me. Come join my Yoga Nidra class. It's on Zoom. That's so awesome. I love I love the technology is letting us do things like that. And the pandemic is making it easier in a way for people to access from all over, you know, because before I wouldn't even have thought of that as a viable thing to do. And okay. right now, this is the only way that we can get, quote, into Canada, Anita. <laughs> I know. We physically can't get there. That's how you can They get will in. not let us in, even though I keep asking them to let me in they say no and to our to our karens from canada ren is coming to us from ottawa (laughs) um so they're in different different um provinces but still canadian still are there any meditations that include tacos well (laughs) is there taco nithra you can ask someone to do one now i'm hungry possibly yeah that's the thing (laughs) I don't think you'll actually be able to relax. You'll just be dreaming of tacos. That's true. Yeah, so that's I suggest true. you. But would that be such a bad thing? Eat your taco and then do the meditation. Okay. Yeah. I think true. this is such a great resource for everybody, but specifically for widows too, because we have a lot of stuff going on in our heads and a lot of responsibilities and a lot of stress. So even something just as simple as following the breath, I think will help calm people down. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm thinking about it right now is just like your head is full of all of these things and being able to just 
kind of go through them like in a filing system type of a way and be and be like, oh, I understand why I'm doing some of these things and I can get rid of this and I can keep this and just helping you to know what you need to pay attention to as your brain is going through this healing, you know, grieving process and what things are not serving you well. Totally. Maybe. Totally. Yay. Well, Bryn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This was such a pleasure for me. Um, we do have one more question, though, Mel. This is very important, and I'm going to let Anita ask it. We ask it to all our guests when we remember. Most important question of the call is, what is your favorite kind of cheese? Ooh. Um, I think it's probably Monterey Jack with jalapeno. Oh, yum. Yum. I got the spicy. Yum. She is my kind of cheese friend. Yeah. <laughs> that would have to be it. Okay. Very good. We accept your answer and we thank you for joining us today, Vryn. Thanks so much. Thank you. We hope you guys have found this episode to be interesting and that you'll want to find out more. We'll give you the information to contact Vryn if you have questions or maybe are even interested in some coaching or specializing, as Mel said it earlier. (laughs) Um, And then some information about uh, links to her meditation guided meditations and things like that we're gonna we're gonna link you to Vryn so you can find out all the stuff that she has available remember to join the widow wives club on facebook answer all the questions eat all the cheese join our patreon <laughs> patreon.com slash wwdn you can either be our widow friend or our dead husband or somewhere in between until we talk to you next week i'm anita i'm mel And I'm Ren. We're just two young widows and a three with a four trying to figure out widow Widow, we do now. now. (laughs) Yay! This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan. Especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks, and so you don't have to pay extra for that, and you still get great service. Yep, Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.